Hi, I'm Joanna Roach from the Mariah Mitchell Association, and you are listening to The Nature of Nantucket. And I am with Julia Blythe today, who is our collections manager, and we're going to talk a little bit about what that means. Welcome, Julia. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm excited to talk to you. So tell us what exactly is a collections manager? Um, So a collections manager is the person in a museum that takes care of all of the specimens and uh, keeps track of them and um, stays organized and, um, and adds new specimens to the collection also. Okay. And so you want to talk a little bit about the collections that you work with in the research center? That would be great. Sure. Um, So the Mariah Mitchell's Natural History Collections, which date back to, I think, 1876 is our oldest specimen. Our natural history collections include plants and algae, insects, birds, fish, amphibians, reptiles, spiders, other invertebrates. I think that's, oh, there's also fossils and shells and rocks. So there's quite a lot. (laughs) And they they all live happily together in the basement in giant, (laughs) giant containers and drawers. (laughs) Right. There's um, fancy cabinets that house each collection. So like all the birds are together in Um, a series of cabinets and the insects have a different kind of cabinet and so forth. So what is the specimen from 1876? Um, It's a fern. So so back in the day, there was a a big effort of of people or sort of a mania, actually, um, of people going out and collecting ferns. Um, And so a number of our oldest specimens are ferns that were collected during that time and donated to us later in the early 1900s. And so these firms are from, these firms are from Nantucket. Almost all of our specimens are from the islands. We also have specimens from Tuckernook. Oh, very cool. So the ferns, let's talk about that. So are they from a particular place on the island? That's a good question. In that time, people were a little less precise with their data. And so sometimes there's um, a notation that says a specific location like Hoyk's Hollow or something that you might be able to find again. But often they said something like Nantucket, wet places. Um, and so that's a little uh, less specific. And we now, these days when we collect new specimens, we try to have coordinates on everything and uh, very specific notes on the location and habitat. Yeah. And so uh, I know that one of the things that you do is to respond to inquiries about particular elements of the collection and to share that information with other scientists who may be working on a project. Does anyone ask about the ferns? Not in the last couple of years um, specifically, although they're sort of included in a larger project um, that is a collaboration between the Nantucket Conservation Foundation and Linda Loring Association. And I actually don't know who else, but there's a Nantucket flora being produced by uh, those organizations spearheaded by Kelly Omond with the NCF. Um, and so she is compiling a big list of all of the plants that occur on Nantucket in the county. And so there has been a list like this put together in the past. The most recent was, um, I think, about 25 years ago. 
And then again, well before that. And so these lists kind of allow you to compare what occurs in a place from time to time and how the change, I mean, how species diversity has changed over time. Um, And so this can be useful when thinking about climate change. It can be useful when thinking about new species introductions and non-native plants coming into an area. So she's been looking at all of our plant records and also providing us with vouchers for the new species that are that now occur on Nantucket that weren't here in the past that we don't have records for. Yeah, that's hard to imagine that there would be new species, right? But I guess in the the time in a time where we can really look at the biodiversity of almost everything, I guess it's not all that surprising. Uh, these the plants aren't new to science, but they're new to Nantucket Island. So there's quite a few introductions over the last 25 years. Um, maybe landscapers have brought things in that have naturalized and escaped into wild areas or something like that. Hence the invasives. Right. (laughs) So uh, let's go back to this piece about people contacting you and asking for specific animals or birds or parts of the herbarium. What are the what are the most common requests and what are they using things for and why is this important? So it's hard to say anything is a common request because they're all a little different, but certainly lots of people use the herbarium or ask about specimens that are there. Now that we have digitized the herbarium, so there's images of all of the specimens, people who are interested in seeing what we have can look at those online without coming in or necessarily without making a specific request to me. And so they're able to maybe check an identification, verify something that someone gave to us 50 years ago and called whatever a particular species. And then now someone might be questioning that and they can take a look at it. We've also had a recently uh, inquiry about some spiders. Someone was doing genetic work on a whole family of spiders and we had um, a number of specimens um, I think they were red-legged tarantulas. And so this person, I, I sent a couple of legs of, of spiders for this person to do some DNA work on. And I haven't seen the results of that study yet, but these things take time. So eventually I imagine that will come through. Are you saying that we have red-legged tarantulas on Nantucket? <laughs> uh-huh. Wow. They're in the genus Spodros, and I'm no expert on those, but... Andrew McKenna Foster and Cheryl Beaton, who were prior employees, did some work on those. And and especially there's a large population on Tucker Nook, but some on Nantucket too. Yes, I know. I think that, you know, when you come, it's always fascinating to watch you with the different drawers of all the different flies or butterflies or birds and the little tiny tags that identify where they were found and what year they were from. How long does a specimen last? Because I'm, I'm impressed at the sturdiness of this. <laughs> the idea is that they should last forever, but we know that isn't really true. There's, there are plenty of agents of deterioration, including humidity, which causes mold and insect damage. But like I said, we have specimens dating back to the 1870s, which we expect, I mean, I would expect those will be usable for another century at least. 
We have insects going back, I think, probably to about 1918, um, are the oldest insects in our collection. And there are birds from the turn of the century also. So they last quite a while if you keep them in a, a climate-controlled place where you are protecting them from, from insects. I don't actually know what the oldest specimen in the world is, but I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, a natural history um, specimen, but I, I would suspect many hundreds of years. Many hundreds of years. Sure. And, you know, I know that you also spend time working with, I'll call them donations that have been dropped off and get stored in our freezer. And you talk a little bit about that and what that process is and why that's important. So I think you're referring to our bird collection. And so we have a permit to accept salvaged birds. Not everybody can have a collection of birds because they're protected by the Migratory Bird Act. But when a bird meets its untimely demise, we can bring it into our collection. And so, yes, it lives in our freezer for a while until I can get to it. And then I prepare those by removing the carcass, basically, and just keeping the skin and a few bones. Um, And that is all stuffed with cotton and then dried. We have a little drying oven to facilitate that. And then those are added to our collection. And so essentially what a collection is, is a record of what existed, when, where, and physical evidence of that and piece of the animal that can then be used in ways that we can't necessarily predict now. So for example, there's a red-throated loon I know of that was collected in the 1950s on Nantucket. So we have this particular specimen in our collection. We know just when it died and where it was when it was found dead. And now we can go back in our modern times and say, oh yes, we still have red-throated loons in February on Nantucket. So it can be, in a way, it's a piece of data like that. And then also there's new work like using DNA and stable isotopes and things like that. So we can get additional data from the specimen who died quite some time ago. But also with the newer specimens that are coming in, when I prepare them as specimens, I do a small dissection, look at their stomach contents and examine their fat content and stuff like that. So we get a little information about the diet of the bird or, you know, whether it was starving That is often happening with seabirds in the winter um, because it's cold, food availability is low, they have high metabolisms and they die. But I was actually in stomach contents, I was just thinking every single cuckoo that I've ever dissected had tent caterpillar hairs and head capsules in its stomach. So that is like, okay, that's their main diet. We can tell that. Um, And it's pretty interesting. So how um, how did you get into this line of work? <laughs> it's an interesting question. I guess it was, I came at it from birth because my grandfather even prepared specimens for a museum as a young man and then later went on to become a psychologist. But he had, there were specimens around in our house. And then my father also worked for a museum while he was in college. And so I was sort of, 
familiar with the idea. And when I went to college at the Ohio Wesleyan University, I was looking for a student job and there was an opening at the museum. And I was like, oh, I'm not afraid of dead things. And so um, I gained some experience there and worked under an, a curator and a upperclassman who sort of trained me up in more museum standard or like modern techniques. And so I went from there and got an internship at Mariah Mitchell when I graduated and worked with Bob Kennedy for a while. And then when he retired, here I am. Here you are. Here you are. <laughs> so in terms of what are what are some of your favorite things in the collections or what is the most interesting thing for you to work on? Hmm. That varies. One of my favorite specimens is a brown pelican, which was found by Ginger and Edith Andrews on Edith's birthday. It might have been her 99th birthday. And she always had a birthday bird that was a special thing that she found on her birthday, often a living bird. But in this case, it was a dead pelican. And it's the only brown pelican in our collection. So it represents uh, an item of interest. Basically, pelicans do get lost and get sort of pushed along with the storm winds and come up this high. But now we have we have a record of that in our collection. And also, I had never really seen like what a pelican's pouch is like up close. So that was really fun to get a hands-on look at that. But aside from birds, I really enjoy working with the plant specimens. I find that exciting. And the fact that people are interested in using them uh, makes me feel like this is a really like relevant thing to be working on right now. Mm-hmm. And then I'm, my husband studies leaf mining insects, and so he and I both have worked quite a bit on moths and flies, not just on Nantucket, but all over the country. And so looking back at some of the moths and flies and leaf mines that were collected here in the 1930s or so has been really interesting to be able to compare with what we're doing now on the island. And what are, that is really interesting. And are there like significant differences between those insects in the 1930s and the insects now almost 100 years later? Well, we're finding a lot more, but part of that is because we are using different techniques and there are more resources available to identify the things that we're finding. But we have been able to actually confirm identifications and in some cases correctly identify specimens that were listed in the 1930s that were misidentified at the time, just simply because they don't didn't have the resources available that we have now. I see. And I have like one last question really for you, which is what's the best way for the public to kind of access or learn about some of the things in our collections? So there's a few different ways. You can come visit our collection during open hours when Ginger Andrews is around on Saturday mornings into early afternoon, I believe. And that will change over time, I imagine. So it would be good to check the website, I think. But also, you can view our entire plant collection on the Consortium of Northeastern Herbaria. That's a web portal that contains plant specimens from all over the Northeast. And you can search for ours specifically within that portal. And then on our website, 
under, I think there's a collections tab, you can see a list of all of our specimens. So that's a place where you can see what we have. And then if you want to see something particular, send a request and either Ginger will bring it up or when I'm on island, I can help you find it. That's great. Well, thank you so much, Julie. I've loved learning a little bit more about what these collections can do. And I appreciate your coming and sharing your experiences with us. Sure, you're welcome. All right. If you've been listening, I'm Joanna Roach. I'm from the Mariah Mitchell Association. And our podcast is called The Nature of Nantucket. And special thanks to Julia Blythe, who is our collections manager, for sharing her stories today. 